for those of you who uh, weren't paying attention to that, I was uh, this past week. I was down in uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a, at a, a educators conference. There's a, a faculty development uh, uh, conference that I go to almost every year down in at Johnson C. Smith University uh, in uh, in Charlotte, and. We were doing, you know, I was giving a presentation talking about Signum stuff and, uh, you know, um, the end of the world and all that kind of thing. And people wanted to see a demonstration. So I'm like, sure. So I hopped onto Twitch. Several of you showed up there for a spontaneous, though brief little talking discussion just so that I could kind of demonstrate to people how it worked and everything. And we talked about it afterwards. They were all watching like both of my screens while I was talking there and everything it was kind of fun, but it also completely messed up my interface. Uh, cause I had to just kind of wing a bunch of things differently than I normally do. So I'm all behind hand on things here. Um, anyway, all right. So Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Welcome back. It's been two weeks and feels like forever. Uh, so really uh, looking forward to getting back uh, getting back into our discussions here uh, this evening. So um, session 106, welcome. Oh, see, and here, look, I don't even have my slime. Boy, I'm just, I'm a mess tonight, I'm telling you. Uh, oh, and so my audio is a little messed up. That was the technical issue. I was, I was, I told you guys I was wrestling with a technical issue. That's actually the technical issue that I was wrestling with, uh, because my normal interface for, um, uh, sound just it, it's just like not working can't get it to work don't know why it won't work um, so I'm not able normally I'm able to pipe in the uh, the the game sounds and also the sound from uh, from uh, what's it called discord so that um, Valori can you guys can hear Valori when we talk during the field trip but not working so no audio from there, but I think you can get me, right? I think you can hear me, so I'll have to live with just that. And anyway, as it happens, poor Valori is ill this evening anyway, so couldn't be with us. So, you know, we'll just have to live with it one way and another. All right. Okay. I've got my slides. There we go. My slideshow. Uh, and we are all set there. Okay. Very good. So tonight, insistent merriment. This is uh, uh, we're going to see Mary and Pippin uh, being uh, incapable of being suppressed by Gandalf uh, as uh, they all get back together as Frodo and Sam rejoin the party. Um, everybody from Strider, of co- uh, except Strider, of course, uh, from their uh, their party from Bree. Um, so. Uh, we're gonna, we're totally gonna get there tonight. That's absolutely gonna happen, um, and uh, and I am, uh, I'm, I'm sort of realizing that uh, the <laughs> you guys have been have been foreboding that our pace through the text was going to continue to slow down, and I'm afraid you're kind of right. As I was looking ahead through the rest of the chapter, uh, and how much more of the chapter we still have in addition to the really long poem with, like, the super fascinating history that I once wrote an, wrote an entire article about. Um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's still a lot to do in many meetings. Um, but it's all good. It's all good. The council by Christmas, Tony. That's it. If we can get to the council, forget finishing the council. If we can start the council by Christmas, we'll be doing pretty well, I think. Um, but anyway, 
That's how we roll here in Exploring Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, uh, quick announcements before I begin. Um, the Today's the last day. You may have remembered that I mentioned we were having a, a special on my uh, Story of the Hobbit uh, course for Anytime Audits. And that's... Um, um, that's that today is the day that that uh, is expiring. So just wanted to make sure to mention that if you didn't get a chance to look at that yet. Um, and uh, <clears throat> but uh, more pressingly, Mootcast. Uh, so Mythmoot is coming up soon. We are just over a week away from Mythmoot. Mythmoot is next Thursday. Begins next Thursday, goes through next Sunday. So the 27th through the 30th of this very month as is. So um, there's still time for you to sign up for Mootcast. We've had a bunch of people sign up for Mootcast. It's going to be a great group of people joining us virtually, as well, of course, as the wonderful group of people who will be there. We're going to have over 100 people there in person. We're going to have... We're starting to push up towards 50 uh, people who are going to be attending virtually. So, you know, it'll be... uh, It'll be great. Uh, I, I'm 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 really excited for uh, uh, for for people being able to participate who aren't able to be there. This has been, as I've mentioned before, uh, something I've really wanted for many years. So, anyway, uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. Don't forget, we're, we can't do. Um, you know, sort of mootcast sales. Like we can't give access to the recordings after the event. So uh, you have to sign up for mootcast if you want to participate. If you want to get the full list of the recordings of all the things happening at MythMoot, you need to register by the end of the conference. So by next Sunday, Thursday, or next Sunday, the thirtieth. Uh, however, of course, it actually starts uh, on the uh, the twenty seventh next next Thursday. So if you want to be involved in things live. That's the uh, deadline. Tony, will there be interaction through the Mootcast? Yes. Yes. Um, that's sort of a new thing, right? Basically, my plan, I'm going to be manning the Mootcast in at least one of the rooms. So my plan for that, of course, is if people have questions that you'd like me to pass along, just you know, give a question and I'll, I'll just raise my hand in your stead. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, and ask the question there. Um, I, I, you know, I think we'll, we'll, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the net moot operators, there'll be three of us, uh, and the, the net moot operators will try to, uh, 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 speak on your behalf as much as we can. We can't promise. And we've got, if, we, if we've got like 50 people in the moot cast peppering us with questions, we can't promise to pass them all on, but, uh, uh, but we can definitely do, uh, do, do some of that. Um, so <laughs> very good. Very good. So anyway, so Tony, that is my plan. I do hope to enable some interaction. It's not going to be, it's not going to be quite like now, right? You, you know, the way that I interact with you guys during exploring the Lord of the Rings or during the Mythgard Academy, um, because they are like, you guys are the audience I'm a hundred percent focused on, right? Whereas, um, it'll be different in a couple different ways with Mootcast, but there should be some ways, uh, to, uh, participate. I think, um, that'll be one of the things we're kind of experimenting with and seeing, uh, seeing how we can do and seeing what we can learn from that this year. Um, anyhow, um, so very good. So again, so don't forget Mootcast, uh, uh, it's a big deal and it is, uh, uh, and it is coming up here. Um, Okay, cool. So, is that it? Oh, yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention, back to my full slate of broadcasts this week, which is very exciting. I wanted to mention one change to the broadcast schedule. So, we've got tonight and we've got um, 
Next week we have, uh, or next week, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is Mythgard Academy. Again, doing session four uh, on Sauron Defeated. Uh, we're going to do Scouring the Shire tomorrow, so that's going to be great. Um, then, okay, so normally Silm Film happens on Friday mornings. It has been on Friday mornings for like the last four years, but we're changing as of this week, we're changing. Um, and we're going to have some film on Thursday evenings. So that's going to happen Thursday evening at 10 PM Eastern time. will be some film, um, the next film film episode. So this coming Thursday, day after tomorrow, 10 PM Eastern time is going to be some film. We'll broadcast that on, uh, uh, on Twitch as we've been doing there as well as using our normal go to webinar link uh, as well. So, okay. So that's coming up. And then, of course, I have my Grifflet stream again. I feel like I haven't seen Grifflet in quite some time. Uh, we'll have that again on Friday afternoon. So uh, all, is, uh, um, all is set. Let's see. Um, who do we contact about escort duty for Mythmoot Lotro? Great question, JJ. Why don't you contact Valori if you can? Um, Valori or Druid's Fire, I think probably either one of them can kind of sync that up. Um, um not <laughs> organizing that. So, uh, I would definitely mention it to either Valori or Druid's Fire and they can, they can get it, they can get it together. Um, okay. Yep. Great. Okay. Um, I think that is the end of my announcements for tonight. So very good. All right. Now that I'm finally getting myself together here, I hope. Um, uh, cool. Oh, spiritual board boulders. Yes, absolutely. Um, the uh, the the name Grifflet, by the way, is just derived from one of my personal favorite knights of the Round Table, Sir Grifflet. Um, Sir Grifflet, le fils de Dieu. I don't know why he's called the son of God. I've, this never actually made any sense to me at all. Um, but anyway, Sir Grifflet was always, for some reason, which I'm not even really quite sure of, one of my favorite knights of the round table uh, uh, when I was younger. So, uh, Grifflet, it's an Arthurian name. Because, you know, there are hobbits who have, like, amusing... Um, amusingly Arthurian names, uh, like Dodinas, uh, for instance. That's an Arthur. That's a that's a Knight of the Round Table as well. So, I thought Grifflet might sort of fit in in that way, in that same kind of uh, uh, mock heroic uh, sort of mode that so many Hobbit names uh, are uh, uh, adopted in in Tolkien's world. Okay, and let's see. I think I actually have like neglected yet another interface. Um, you would have thought that I had had already the opportunity to forget them all, but I, I, I think I, I managed to forget another one. No worries. Okay. Very good. Um, then uh, let's uh, get straight into our questions. Two, there are a bunch of really good comments that came in uh, to the discussion board. Didn't have time to talk about all of them uh, tonight, but I did want to highlight a couple of them as always. Um so first, uh, this is a uh, a comment from a new user uh, called Bingolfin, which I have to admit I stared at for quite an embarrassing amount of time before I got the joke. I just sort of was looking at that name like, uh, wait, I don't get it, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, now I get it. Anyway, so yeah, I was I was super embarrassed by how long that took me to figure out. Anyhow, Bingolfin says. 
I've been rushing to catch up since I uh, since starting exploring the Lord of the Rings six-ish weeks, weeks ago. 90 episodes in six weeks is some serious dedication, my friend. So that is that is, uh, that is is really something. In regards to Aragorn saying that Gorfindel dwells in the house of Elrond, I always assumed that it showed how special he was and his close ties to Elrond and his family. Like in Lotro, I also assume that Rivendell has more in it than Elrond's house and is full of inhabitants and buildings, recognizing Elrond as a lord but not all living in his house. Those who actually dwell in his house would be a small number. Arwen and the twins, Aragorn when he's there, Gorfindel, special guests and others, but hardly everybody who lives in Rivendell. Through Bilbo, Frodo, and Sam, we know quite a bit about Rivendell, so would understand uh, uh, sorry, through Bilbo, Frodo and Sam would know quite a bit about Rivendell, so would understand the distinction between living in Rivendell and living in the House of Elrond, and so Strider was showing the special relationship that was shared between Glorfindel and Elrond, or am I just missing something obvious that has led me way off base? I think this is a really interesting uh, observation. Um, so, because we had talked about, I, I hadn't thought about that Precisely. We were mainly thinking about, you know, when he says in the House of Elrond, does he mean like physically the house, right? Or does he mean like he is part of the, you know, he sort of just like Gildor says, uh, I, you know, I am of the House of Finrod. Um, so um, anyway, I, I, I definitely think that um, uh, um, this is an interesting way of thinking about it. Now, we talked about whether or not there was more than one house in Rivendell, right? Um, in the paintings, you only see the one house. And it speaks, you know, like the last homely house thing uh, does suggest, you know, that it's one large building there in the valley. Um, I'm definitely willing to agree. I, the, the, the Lotro adaptation of Rivendell also makes a good deal of sense to me. Um, especially given where what Rivendell is now, right? It's not just a a kind of yeah, I don't know what like retreat center or something like that. <laughs> I guess technically it was a retreat center back in the wars in the Second Age. But the point is, in a different and quite much more literal and military sense. However, um, it was. Um, uh, I never really thought about the phrase retreat center in that sense. Actually, I have to admit. Uh, but anyway. Um, I um uh, I I think that um I am very willing to believe that there are more buildings than the one um and that it's not just one physical house and that we do have uh as we were talking about in our long discussion long but fascinating discussion of um the last homely house east of the sea um I I think that you know the idea that it is um you know really the place where uh, you know, many, especially many of the high elves uh, have come. I mean, it's obviously one of the primary centers, you know, even more than the Havens, really. I mean, primarily you've got Rivendell and Lothlorien. Um, and of course you have Mirkwood as well, I suppose, needs to be included as places of sort of centers where elves, uh, you know, remain and are focused there in, in Middle-earth. Um but I can't believe they're all squeezed into the same house. So I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to think that um, when he says, you know, that he, when Aragorn says that he dwells in the house of Elrond, um, that he is showing a kind of special distinction, right? That this is one who, like, lives in the family house, right? That he, uh, um, that he dwells there. I, I'm not sure. My gut actually 
kind of moves in the opposite direction. You know, my gut suggests that when he's introduced as dwelling in the house of Elrond, it's not designed to elevate him, but actually it's kind of a, a humble introduction. Um, rather than being like, this is Gorfindel, and do you realize who this dude is? Right? Instead of doing that, he's like, he lives in Rivendell, right? He dwells in the house of Elrond. So, you know, he, he mentions Elrond specifically, not just says he lives in Rivendell, right? But he mentions the house of Elrond to show that he is intimate there, right? He is, you know, he's, he is close to Elrond. Um, but he doesn't give any real details about his, um, about his status, you know? So my gut says that that is the, the, the force of it rather than to, you know, to, to, um, to elevate it, but, but maybe not, you know, it's, it's, um, I could, I could see this, this reading holds together. Um, like I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm totally feeling it, but it holds together. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, you're right. Ambrosius, a really honest Gorfindel doesn't appear to have his own grand manor house, right? There's no evidence that he has, you know, has his own pad there. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, he's not Gorfindel of Castle Gorfindel. No, absolutely not. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Karina points out, maybe he's trying to make Elrond look cool, <laughs> right? Yeah, Elrond is so awesome. Gorfindel lives in his house. You know, I mean, that's just, yeah. That's serious street cred right there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Katriana, that's a really wonderful question. She says, aren't there songs about Gorfindel, or can we presume there would be? Um, and that maybe Frodo through Bilbo would have heard uh, 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 would have heard of them or of him? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you got to think. Sam has probably heard songs right remember but we know from the hobbit right even just from the hobbit when this wasn't even a thing we know that bilbo knows has heard stories of gondolin right um so you've got to think that bilbo even in his earlier days right has probably heard the story of gorfindel and the balrog right probably um and has certainly and so sam's got to know that right sam has to know that um uh, uh, that story. So yeah, I, I, I would think, uh, you know, he could just be like, this is Gorfindel, you know, the Gondolin Gorfindel and, you know, and they'd be all like, Ooh, yeah. Right. Um, but, um, um, but we don't, but again, all we get instead is he dwells in the house of Elrond. So yeah, I mean, Karina, I know you're sort of joking or at least mostly joking there, but it's actually kind of interesting, right? You know, the way that it kind of it kind of does go in both directions in a sense, right? Um, you know, contextualize Rivendell for you. Gorfindel lives there, right? He lives in, uh, you know, he lives in in uh, in Elrond's house, um, but also, you know, he's you can trust him in case you haven't heard of him, right? Because he's close to Elrond. Um, uh, yeah, Antonia right. Sam, we, we talked about a little bit about how little Sam says uh, at the time. Um, it is kind of attractive to imagine uh, Sam being completely, uh, um, completely like uh, starstruck, right, at that point. I kind of like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Matt, I agree. I cannot imagine Bilbo leaving out the details of Sting's companion blades and their origins. Exactly. I mean, we know 
It is from that moment at the beginning of chapter five in The Hobbit when Bilbo first draws his sword and sees it glowing around the edges um, that he realizes that he is carrying a blade out of Gondolin, right, as he introduces it to Gollum a little bit later on in that same chapter. Um, So the fact that Bilbo has a sword of legend, right, uh, that dates back to Gondolin, we know how pleased he is about that because we're told how pleased he is about that. And, and Matt, I absolutely agree. It is hard to believe that as Bilbo aged and began to tire even his neighbors, right, with st- ridiculous stories or songs uh, of his old adventures, um, that he wouldn't have told such an appreciative audience as Sam and Frodo uh, those particular stories. So, yeah, no, I agree. It's 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 got to be. It's got to be. Um yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Let's see. Um, JJ asked, why, why doesn't Bilbo ever translate Sting into Cinderin? Oh, I'm sure he did, right? I'm sure he did. But, you know, there's, uh, uh, I'm, there's also a certain charm and appropriateness to maintaining the name, you know, in uh, the name that he originally gave it and the name that he originally gave it. Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. As Cecilia says, you can imagine somebody saying, are you the Gl- Glorfindel, right? But then again, it's easy to imagine Sam not having the gumption to, to say that, right, to Glorfindel's face there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um Yeah, so uh, 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 Simon, you're right. Um, the uh, thinking about Glorfindel living with Elrond does interestingly recontextualize uh, um, Elrond's inspecting the so- the swords. Right. Um, I mean, not only is he personally related to the Lord of Gondolin, right, uh, who once wielded Gandalf's sword, but he's also, uh, but, uh, but there, there's Gorfindel right there, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and that is absolutely spiritual boulders, you are correct. Um, Tolkien was, I do, it's my opinion, uh, it's my reading of his drafts that Tolkien, that Gorfindel's name was, Gorfindel is the last recycled name. Um, when he was just recycling a concept so that he was Glorfindel-esque, right? He's sort of recalling Glorfindel. It was the concept and the name of Glorfindel recycled out of his old stories. And it was later on that Tolkien decided, no, he's not going to be recycled. He's literally going to be, uh, he's literally going to be Glorfindel himself returned. That was a decision he doesn't make finally until substantially later down the road. I agree. Absolutely. Um, he co- sort of retcons into that. But this is part of the fun, right? Um, to be entering entering into Tolkien's process of retcon. Uh, because, of course, as he makes that decision, it has certain consequences for the story. And as we think about those consequences... Um, a bunch of connections like that, just exactly like the one that Simon was just making, um, are really, really interesting, right? To now imagine Glorfindel being there, kind of looking over Elrond's shoulder as he's holding up Glamdring and being like, dang, yeah, I remember that, right? Yeah, you know, Turgon wearing that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, um, Tony, he doesn't get around to it. If I'm remembering correctly, 
he doesn't get around to f- making a final decision on the Gorfindel question until like the peoples of middle or like the final volume uh of the i think it's in that collection of writings in like the last couple of years before he died um not in the lost tales period the unfinished tales sorry period um the stuff published in unfinished tales was generally published within about a decade of the publication of the lord of the rings um so the later the end of the history of middle earth stuff generally is later than that and it was pretty late I'm pretty sure, uh, if I remember correctly. But I might not remember correctly, because as I've said before, I have deliberately refrained from reading uh, the last few volumes of the History of Middle-Earth in preparation for when we get to them. Uh, I want them to be kind of fresh and new to me again as I'm going through them uh, with the Mythgard Academy. So I'm delib- I've, I've deliberately been avoiding them uh, for years now uh, as we're working up towards that. Um, anyway, okay. Let's see. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. Hey. Okay. So let's move on. Because so one last uh, qu- uh, quick thing. Um, uh, Rococo, I saw that you were here with us tonight. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Um, Rococo sent this lovely note this week. I found Exploring the Lord of the Rings on YouTube in December during a bout of second trimester insomnia, she says. I thought, so much material, this will last me all pregnancy. But no, I was hooked and we had caught up by April. We, she says, because in utero babies can apparently hear sound, so he's heard it all too. Well, this is great because now, like, you know, like, if, if, he, if he has a hard time sleeping, right, you can just put my podcast on again and have my voice put him to sleep. Uh, that's, uh... Uh, that's kind of, that's that's kind of fun. Anyway, says it was convenient that there was no class last Tuesday night because that's when I went into labor. My phone alarm to remind me of the start of class went off, and I had to laugh because even if class was on, I think I'd have to miss that one. <laughs> yes, I think so. Well, I'm glad we had such a conveniently timed uh, 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 hiatus there, and pretty cool that you went into labor like on class night on the night that we didn't have class. It's pretty fun. Um, uh, so your newest student is named Owen, born on June 11th, and he weighs nine pounds. Unfortunately, he's quite jaundiced, so he'll be turning into, tuning into class this week from his hospital room. It will be fun to see how old he is by the time we sail into the West. Indeed. So it's really like the over-under. Like, will Owen have his driver's license before we finish the series? And I think... You probably actually, I would, I think myself, I think I would go with, go the over, uh, on that particular bet. Um, so, uh, so yes, yes, uh, it, it will be fun. You have, you have to check in with us, right? Um, you know, Owen's first day of kindergarten and, you know, Owen's high middle school graduation and, uh, you know, all that kind of thing as we, uh, as we, as we move on through. So that, that's really wonderful. Thank you. So I hope that you are enjoying, uh, tuning in with us this evening by the by the uh the cool blue light of the uh of the phototherapy uh, uh uh bed and um uh and and which of course i'm sure we'll all be we'll all be fine and this is uh, uh this is wonderful so thank you for sharing that was really that was really fun and also really sensible i think uh for as many of us as possible to 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 have airs in place, right? So we can, so the discussion can continue on after this whole first generation of us is gone. Uh, so I, this is really very prudent uh, as well. Uh, so anyway, uh, thanks again for sharing, Rococo. That was really great. Um, okay. 
Exactly, the sons and daughters of exploring the Lord of the Rings. JJ, I have to admit, it's like a little bit, you know, things like this kind of put it into perspective, right? I mean, me, I'm used to, like, my podcast has been going on for 10 years. The idea of, like, hey, yeah, I'll run a show that will go on indefinitely. I mean, I've been getting used to this, right? I mean, I've been already running film film for four years, and, you know, we have another, you know, a good 20 more years projected uh, of film film stuff. So, you know, like, it, it, it doesn't phase me. I don't even really think about it to be like, yep, this, this show is pretty much, you know, indefinite, right, is going to carry on into the future, uh, you know, until, um, um, until I don't even know, <laughs> presumably, you know, until, uh, the, the day I die. But, um, but you know, things like this really kind of put it into perspective. And so imagining baby Owen born on the night of exploring the Lord of the Rings and listening, uh, to, you know, hundreds of hours of the podcast in utero, right. Growing up to, you know, go off to college and stuff before we finish is, is, uh, uh, it really kind of puts it in perspective, but, uh, anyway, um, exactly. Arden Crayon. It's just like a generation ship. We will not live to see the destination, but our descendants will, uh, I think, yeah, more and more. It's really sort of starting to, uh, uh, starting, starting to seem that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so it's all it's all it's all very beautiful. Um, yeah, Matt, I agree. It will be interesting to see. I mean, I think we may very well be changing the, you know, the the entire platform right of our discussions. It, 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 it'll be really neat if virtual reality can catch up with us before we uh, before we get to the end and we can have a totally virtual classroom. That would be that would be really fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, cool. Cool. All right. Um, so anyway, thanks again and welcome Owen, uh, to our discussions. Looking forward to your contributions in years to come. Um, okay. All right. Let's get back to the text. All right. Sam led him along several passages and down many steps and out into a high garden above the steep bank of the river. He found his friend sitting on a porch on the side of the house, looking east. Shadows had fallen in the valley below, but there was still a light on the faces of the mountains far above. The air was warm. The sound of running and falling water was loud, and the evening was filled with a faint scent of trees and flowers, as if summer still lingered in Elrond's gardens. "'Hooray!' cried Pippin, springing up. "'Here is our noble cousin! Make way for Frodo, Lord of the Ring!' "'Hush!' said Gandalf from the shadows at the back of the porch. "'Evil things do not come into this valley, but all the same we should not name them. "'The Lord of the Ring is not Frodo, but the master of the Dark Tower of Mordor, "'whose power is again stretching out over the world. "'We are sitting in a fortress. Outside it is getting dark.'" Now, um, of course we need to talk about the irrepressibility of Pippin here, um, but... Um, the first thing I want to touch on uh, is this. Here's like today's thing I never noticed from slide number one. Um, uh, and that is um, the symmetry between the description, right? The physical description of Rivendell, Frodo's view of Rivendell, right? It's, you know, his first view of Rivendell, really, apart from outside his window. Um, and, uh, and what Gandalf says, right? Notice how we get shadows, right? Um, so he's 
there's the river, there's the, the, the face of the mountains, right? So we've got the mountains very steep up behind them. Uh, and we have, uh, the, so shadows had fallen in the valley below. So shadows are filling the valley. The sun is still visible on the face of the, you know, there's still a light on the faces of the mountains far above. So the mountains can still see the sun. The sun is still shining on the mountains, but darkness is closing over the valley, which is natural enough, right? And not only is the fall of nighttime not an, an ominous and scary time in Rivendell, it's a good thing, right? Elves love the gloaming. Elves love the starlight. Uh, so there's no fear associated with the coming of darkness. But of course, we get this really interesting parallel, right, with what Gandalf says. We are sitting in a fortress. Uh, outside it is getting dark. And of course, that's ex- literally what is also happening as well. And the idea of the sort of the mountains with the sunlight shining on them, right, as the, the sun is falling uh, and you can still see the light, but the light is no longer uh, directly on them, right, but rather the shadows are kind of rising up around them. Gandalf's words kind of turn what otherwise is sort of a lovely evening time description, right, into something sort of substantially more ominous. Um, And that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, uh, So, yeah, Tony, that is interesting. In the middle of all the long sentences, the short, the air was warm, stands out. Yeah, that does stand out. A lot of his descriptions tend to be uh, longer sentences. It's very common that he uses compound or complex sentences in his landscape descriptions. Shadows had fallen in the valley below, but there was still a light on the faces of the mountains far above. The sound of running and falling water was loud, and the evening was filled with a faint scent of trees and flowers, as if summer still lingered in Elrond's gardens. Right, That kind of sentence structure, I agree, Tony, is what we see more often in landscape descriptions. So, the air was warm, does really stand out there, right? Um, and, um, yeah, Gilgonthir, it, it reminds me as, uh, as well of the, um, the effect of those, sh- those short sentences, which, uh, uh, Tolkien will often insert, like, at the very end of, uh, of a long description, like the, and Morgoth came, or the, and it stank, um, uh, examples, which are which are uh, you know are, are sort of our, our favorite examples of that. This isn't nearly as dramatic as that, right? Especially since it's kind of inserted right in the middle, right? Um, so it doesn't have that same kind of, you know, the the momentum of the long rolling periods and then boom to the 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 short sentence at the end, right? Um, so. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, it, it, it doesn't quite flow like that, but I do agree that it jumps out, right? I mean, the, the cadence is just different. The air was warm. Um, and I do think it's interesting. Of course, it's seasonal, right? It's like summer lingers there. So the idea that although outside it is not only getting dark physically, it's also getting cold. It's shifting towards winter, right? It's, 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 we're moving on into October here. Um, uh, seasonally. Um, so winter is falling everywhere else. Winter is not coming. Winter has arrived, right, everywhere else, or is arriving. It's, it's later in the fall. Um, uh, 
but it's still warm. It's still like summer uh, in uh, in Rivendell. Now, this of course picks up on the description of the 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 description that's given of Elrond in the Hobbit. Um, well, at least in the second edition of the Hobbit, where Elrond's Elrond was the El, the the description of Elrond ends with Tony exactly. He is kind as summer. Um, the original, the first edition, said that he was kind as Christmas, and then Tolkien took out the uh, reference to Christmas, the anachronistic reference to Christmas, and 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 said he was kind as summer uh, instead. Um, so. Um, anyway, that's uh, so it's it's kind of a Rivendellish thing. There's that sense of, you know, we get rather gently that sense of preservation, right? Like things operate by different rules here. It's not quite as dramatic as in Lothlorien, right? Where they come in and they lose track of they don't know how much time, right? It's not exactly like that experience, but but it's not wholly unlike it either, right? It kind of, it, it, there's kind of, I was about to say a memory of that, except the other one hasn't happened yet. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, um, so it's interesting that we get the, so the emphasis on the air is warm is a seasonal thing, but I can't help but remember all the coldness. This is Frodo, right? This is Frodo's perspective. This is Frodo's first experience of Rivendell. And, um, the warmth, his perception of the warmth, that's got to be significant, not only because of the season, but because I mean, coldness has been a problem with him, right? His arm and hand have been dead cold. Uh, the, the cold was spreading out into his body, feeling, you know, coming outside and feeling like he is, you know, wrapped in warmth in this river valley. Uh, definitely seems like a significant thing on the sort of psychological and spiritual level as well for Frodo, right? Um, yeah, Mudmore asks, do elves get cold? Well, I mean, uh, no. At least they seem to be... Uh, it's not that they don't get cold. Uh, like, you can still, as an elf, for instance, freeze to death while crossing the Helcaraxa, but... Um, uh, but elves are much more resistant to the cold, uh, we know, and we'll see that uh, soon enough. But, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good. Um, okay, so thinking, so that's the, the, the sort of the framing conception, right? Gandalf's perception. Um, it's almost like Gandalf is offering he's offering a direct response to Pippin's remark, but it's also almost as if he's he's offering a kind of gloss on what is physically surrounding them, right? Just as the light is fading, this light of the sun is still visible to us, and in high places it might still be shining, but down here where we are, the darkness is growing around us, right? It's almost like he's saying, hey, look around, uh, apply this, right? Interpret the land around you and understand the spiritual significance of this. This is an allegory of where we are, right? Uh, and you need to take it seriously. Um, but let's, um, let's go back to 
Pippin's comment, of course, because it's quite remarkable. So forget Gandalf's response for a second. Let's just focus on what Pippin says. Hooray! Here is our noble cousin. Make way for Frodo, Lord of the Ring. Uh, the Lord of the Ring comment is obviously the big one. Um, but um, uh, let's start with our noble cousin. And I'm forgetting already. There was someone who was talking about this passage. Arden Crayon, it was you, wasn't it? Um uh, about this passage you posted on this in the discussion board? Yeah, okay, I thought so. Um, uh, and made some really great observations. One of Arden Crayon's observation was, uh, or one of his speculations about the first half of this quotation is like, why does he call him our noble cousin, right? Cousin is one thing. Noble? Why does he say noble? That sounds like he's teasing Frodo, and I agree with you, Arden Crayon. It does sound like he is teasing him. Um and it's interesting, of course, because although Frodo is their cousin, and although he, well, you know, like, big cousin, um, they're all kind of related, like half the Shire to the old Took. Um, but um, anyway, um, so they are sort of vaguely cousins. He's not noble, exactly, right? Now, that word is not really one um, being used right, uh, by hobbits. I mean, hobbits don't really have nobility, um, exactly. But it's pretty clear that, like, the Tooks and Brandybucks are really important families, right? Now, the Baggins family is not insignificant, and Frodo does have an argument to be head of the Baggins household. Um, and actually, we're going to come to this. I was just reading Sauron Defeated in preparation for tomorrow night's class, uh, right before tonight's class, and, um, uh, I think we can see that the idea that Frodo was essentially, after Bilbo's departure, um, the functional head of the Baggins family, um, that that got basically passed off. When he sold Bag End, it was a big deal in that way. And the Sackville Bagginses moving into Bag End is also him kind of ceding the position of being the Baggins, um, to the Sackville Baggins, sort of stepping down as head of the family, not just selling the not just selling his beloved house, um, but that um, the with that went sort of some prestige uh, in the Shire. Um, I, I think we can see evidence that Tolkien is certainly thinking in this way by the time we come back to the Shire at the end, um, when Frodo is. Uh, going to deal with uh, Lotho, or Cosimo, as he was still named at that time. Um, Cosimo Sackville Baggins. Kind of like Cosimo, not going to lie. Bit of a fan of Cosimo. But anyhow. Um, uh, but head of the Baggins family or not, he's not noble. And again, anyway, that's not really a word that they use. So I'm trying to figure out the sort of the thrust of his joke, right? Like, he's teasing Frodo. On what is he teasing? Um, he could be just sort of praising him. Now, I wonder... Could it be the clothes? Remember, he got dressed in those nice, new, fitting, uh, you know, well-fitting uh, new clothes made for him by the, uh, by the elves, right? Does he look particularly splendid? Right? Does he look especially princely emerging, right, for the first time? And he's like, here is our noble cousin, right? Um, and it's uh, it's something 
it's something like a mock fa- fanfare, Tony. Exactly. Um, yeah, good. Belongsman, you were thinking about the clothes too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, that um, that didn't occur to me before, but that seems likely um, that he's like, oh, it is our noble cousin. Has Pippin changed? Is Pippin still in his old clothes, or is he is he in new clothes too? I wonder. Uh, don't really know. Um, yeah, I, belongs but if I had to guess, I would say they're not wearing new clothes. Um, but maybe, uh, you know, I, we can't rule it out. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think... I don't think that he is... Arden Cran, one of the questions that you were asking... Um, was like, could there, I mean, cause he does sort of outrank Frodo, right? They're cousins and he's younger, but he does outrank Frodo. I mean, he's the son of the Thane, right? So could he be kind of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, teasing Frodo on that level, right? And I'm not saying I think that that's impossible as a, cause I don't, I mean, I can totally see them doing that in some way, though a lot of the humor, you know, this, the sort of hobbitry humor, um, often tends to, it seems to often be self-deprecating, so I'm not sure that would be their first move there. Um, but, um, uh, but, but still, I, I, I don't think that's impossible. But I bet it's like that, you know, the, the sort of him teasing Frodo for his, uh, splendid appearance. Uh, and Tony, you're absolutely right. Um, that he, uh, uh, has grown in stature, so Pippin is speaking truth in jest. Yeah, exactly. Um, remember, even Frodo was thinking that he looked twice the Hobbit that he used to, right? Um, you know, he 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 has definitely improved, right? And of course, the last time Pippin saw him, uh, you know, he was still uh, probably looking like death, only very slightly warmed over on half of his, on, on, and only on one side, right? So, um, you know, there's there's lots of reasons why Pippin would be commenting amusingly, right, and jokingly on how good Frodo looks, right, when he comes out. Um, nice new clothes, good to see you on your feet again. Uh, you're looking fantastic. You look not only healed, but, you know, but really better. Um, uh, you know, here is our noble cousin, I think, is, is could kind of conceal a lot of those very genuine feelings on Pippin's part. Um, yeah, yeah, Sharon suggests that he's responding uh, to the elevated elegance and formality of the place um, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, that he's, he's um, probably... People greet each other uh, more formally, at least what would probably sound formal to the hobbits. Um, uh, Probably. Though, you know, remember the elf and Bilbo's exchange through Bilbo's window, right? Um, At the end of The Hobbit, right, when Bilbo is sleeping and they wake him up with that outrageous... Uh, anti-lullaby, right, under his window, and, you know, uh, and, you know, and you're... Your snores would waken a stone dragon, yet we thank you, right? So clearly the elves are not all formality all the time, but I agree. There is this, you know, there's the sense of grandeur, right, that he is surrounded by, that he would be kind of playing on. 
I think all a certain amount of sort of self-deprecation involved in that uh, as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, now for the second part. Make way for Frodo, Lord of the Ring. Why would he say that? Why would uh, Pippin say that? And here, Arden Crayon, I agree with you. Um, that it seems to me very likely that Pippin is thinking Frodo has won, right? He has endured much, and he has come out victorious. Remember the song. Remember the song that Pippin and Merry sang back in Crick Hollow, right? Which showed very clearly that Merry and Pippin were thinking of, are still under the impression that this is a there-and-back-again journey, right? Getting the ring to Rivendell is the job, right? That is the quest, and they have achieved the quest, right? And Frodo did a heck of a job, right? And, of course, endured a great deal already. He's been wounded and near to death and whatever other scary thing that was maybe or possibly not happening. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so he survived and he did it, right? The ring has been brought to Rivendell. They won. The good guys won, right? Um, their, the adventure of their lifetime and they've got to look back on it and think like, man, right? You know, Mary saying to them, uh, to the three of them, right, when he finds them uh, on the way to the Buckleberry Ferry, you know, that it wasn't fair for them to have adventures without him. I think how long ago that is now, right? Um, they've all been having lots of adventures together. They've all nearly been destroyed by Barrow Whites and by Ring Wraiths, and they've met Tom, you know, stayed in the house of Tom Pombadil, and they've, I mean, been to Bree, which again has got to be some bragging rights, not unknown, but still like a pretty cool thing for even Bucklanders to do nowadays. Um, anyway, I mean, this is, and now they're in Rivendell, right? And they, they you know, so, I mean, hey, whew, boy. Um, but, um, but they won, and Frodo, right? So, you did it, Frodo, right? You're better, and you did it, and good on you. Um, uh, yeah, Tawith, I agree, and that's a really good point. Uh, Tawith says it's really hard to separate what we know about the nature of the ring from Pippin's use of that title, right? It is. It is. And, of course, we know it to be already, based on what we already know and have seen, we should already feel the irony of it, right? Um, that Frodo should be called the Lord of the Ring when we know that the Ring is already having an, an influence on him, right? Um, he is not yet under its power. It is not yet his Lord and Master, but we can already see that struggle happening, right? Gandalf pointed it out way back in Chapter 2, and we've seen more evidence of it since then. So, um... There is at least, again, some uh, some irony there. Irony, though, of which I am not at all sure that Pippin is sensible. Um, what does Pippin know about the ring? Really know about the ring? Um, he knows that it's the enemy's ring. He knows that it's dangerous because Sauron is looking for it. He knows what it does, that it makes you invisible. Does he really know? Does he really understand? 
about the um, the power of the ring and the hold that the ring can have on its bearer. I don't know that he necessarily knows that. Sam, I think, has a sense of it, right? But, um, but I doubt that Pippin does. Um, remember Mary and Pippin saying in Crick Hollow in the conspiracy unmasked, right? Um, uh, they know that the ring is no laughing matter and they will do their best to help keep it from the enemy, right? They're, again, they're thinking of it as the object of desire from the enemy, right? They know that they have to keep Sauron from getting it and that he really wants it and that they're likely to be in danger because emissaries of Sauron are likely to come and try to get it back. That they know, clearly, but I don't think they really understand sort of the true danger of uh, uh, of of the ring. Um, yeah, and that's interesting, JJ. JJ points out that um, other than those who know all about the rings, um, most people seem to view them as weapons or tools. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, um, exactly, Tim. Pippin would know secondhand from Sam, but how much would Sam tell him? I'm not sure. Um, we know that Sam dried up when he was caught, and the whole conversation with the trying to throw the ring in the fire and... and um, Gandalf explaining what the ring did to Gollum and, you know, the the, the, the danger of, of, of having the ring. That's the conversation that Sam overhears where he gets caught and where he considers himself as on parole and he dries up, right? So I don't think that conversation he conveyed um, to uh, Pippin and Merry prior to the conspiracy unmasked. Would he have told them anything of that after the fact? Um, you know, after the conspiracy was unmasked and they all started traveling together. I can't imagine Sam taking that on himself, honestly. Um, I think that... Um, uh, I think that he would let Frodo talk about that, if Frodo wanted to talk about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, and Mad Violinist, you're right. Um, the transition, the transmission of information from Sam, even what he did transmit prior to that, might not be fully clear um, because he didn't have full context for that information. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that seems very likely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Mad Violinist, the one... Ex- so I was thinking about that too, but I was remembering back to our discussions of Chapter 2. Um, Sam has given Merry and Pippin information enough for them to know that the ring is the ring of the enemy. Um, but remember that the conversation that we are told more or less in full, uh, in chapter two is the second conversation that they have. They also talk the night before and then they stop, right? Um, uh, and in that conversation, we know that Gandalf had been saying that the ring is dangerous, more dangerous than he could possibly imagine. Um, and it seems that he was connecting it with the enemy already and then stopped and was like, no, let's wait until sunlight. 
uh, to talk about this. Um, I suspect that Sam did hear the conversation, that he spied on the conversation the night before, too, and told Mary and Pippin about it, probably right away, um, before he came back and um, spied on um, uh, on Frodo and Gandalf again the next day. Um, anyway, so I do think that there's... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he is walking back from the Green Dragon, reflecting on uh, the uh, reflecting on the spying that he is doing. Um, so yeah, I, I I think there's time for him to spy on that other conversation too. But I uh, I have to go back and check. I think there's time for that. Anyway, it's not necessarily that significant. I still don't think... He is reflecting on Hell's Mad Violinist, you're right. Um, but no, I think he's he's thinking about... Uh, he's definitely thinking about spying. Yeah, oh yeah. Of that, I feel fairly certain. Um, uh, thinking about his business that he has at Bag End. Um, uh, he's got a job of work ahead of him, and it's not just the uh, uh, the grass cutting that he's thinking about. But anyway... Um, yeah, good. Fourth Thoughtless points out that Sam left the Green Dragon before it was full dark, and Gandalf stopped the conversation because he didn't want to discuss the ring at night. That's what I thought, Fourth Thoughtless. I thought that there was a window there for Sam to get back, still hear that conversation which was happening after dark, right? Uh, and then even quite li- quite possibly late at night, tell or first thing in the morning, tell Merry and Pippin about it um, before he comes back and, uh, uh, and continues to spy. Um, but... Um, Anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. Uh, the point is, I, I still don't think there is much reason to believe that Merry and Pippin fully understand the, the, the nature of the ring and the power of the ring. Frodo doesn't talk about it, and I don't think Sam will talk about it without Frodo's approval, uh, without Frodo's um, agreement there. Um, anyway... Lord of the Ring. What he would be praising then would be... It's interesting to me that, however, given that, it's interesting that he seems to... that he chooses to characterize. Because that's kind of how I I see it. I'm not sure I can see it in any other way. Um, The title, The Lord of the Ring, seems to suggest a kind of dominance. Not dominance, that's not the right word. Um triumph over the ring itself, right? Um, that Pippin even perceives the ring as some kind of... I don't Because I don't think he can. I don't think he can perceive it as some kind of foe whom uh, Frodo has conquered. I don't think that's what he can mean by Lord of the Ring. Um, I think he has to mean... Um, I think he has to mean... You know, Frodo, the triumphant boss guy who carries the ring. Right? Um, Yeah. Um, See, I don't think... Gandalf knows. Frodo also knows the significance of the claiming of the ring. Right? Um, And the danger 
of attaching yourself to the ring. I'm not convinced Pippin understands that. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. I don't want to... But at the same time, if he does, then this is a really stupid thing to say. It's like either he's saying what he doesn't understand or he's saying something really dumb. Um, Can't rule out that he's saying something really dumb, but I don't... Pippin is rash, but I don't think he is going to... If he knew... I mean, it's like... If he knew what was really at issue there, he would. I don't think he would make this joke, right? I mean, hobbits give each other a hard time, but to do something like that would be the equivalent of, like, joking about, a, like, joking about a cancer diagnosis to a cancer patient, you know. I'm not saying that would never happen, and I've known cancer patients who themselves made jokes about it, um, but, which seems to me personally, by the way, a perfectly sensible thing to do. Uh, however, I just, I don't think, um, I can't see him going there if he really understood. Um, yeah. And Mad Violinist, I agree. Pippin's going to spend the entire first two books demonstrating just how much he doesn't understand. Um, and I would actually say Mad Violinist is not going to stop after book two, right? I mean, remember Pippin in Minas Tirith being like, the kingship? What are you talking about? <laughs> right? He does not even, he has not even grokked the fact that Strider is the king who is going to come back and take the throne of Minas Tirith, right? That this room that he's walking into is Aragorn's future, uh, future throne room. Like, you know, it's like still over Pippin's head. Um, so yeah, I mean, Gandalf accuses him Fairly, it seems to me, of walking around with his eyes closed and his mind asleep. So I, I, I just, I can't, I don't think we can, ass- I, I don't think it's safe to assume that Pippin understands. And therefore that the issue of lordship over the ring, resisting the ring's lordship over you, I don't think that's on his radar screen. I don't think he'd even know to to praise Frodo for that inappropriately, right? Um I think that, um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, Katriana, I agree. I do think that when he swears himself to Denethor, that that's a turning point for Pippin. Um, agreed. But that's a long way down the road, right? Um, for now, he's still pretty clueless. So, therefore, you're Pippin. You're clueless. You don't know that lordship is an issue with the ring, right? Um, all you know, at you know, you definitely know that this is Sauron's ring and that he wants it back and that it's dangerous. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Exactly, Mike. Yeah, uh, Mike says, going back to the cancer metaphor, it would be like loudly complimenting uh, 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 somebody with uh, chemotherapy baldness on their haircut. Yeah, it would be kind of like that. And again, I'm not saying 
that that kind of teasing is utterly impossible or completely outside the realm of hobbitry, but it, it, it doesn't feel to me exactly the same, right? Certainly, hobbitry is not malicious, as you're saying. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking... I, at the end of the day, I think that what he means is... Frodo, you won, right? Like, this is Pippin doing the equivalent of the, like, Frodo, you bore the ring to, you bore the ring to Rivendell, right? What are you doing now? Like, you know, that's, I think that's what he's kind of doing, right? Um, you did it, Frodo, man. You accomplished the thing. You, you achieved the quest. Um, you are the victor. Yeah, Tony, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it, as if the ring becomes a trophy, Right. Yay. Could the Dark Lord take that ring from you? No, he could not, right? You took that ring and you, like, in the face of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Nazgul at the Ford, you faced down the Nazgul, all nine of them, at the Ford, right? And you were like, I will not take the ring with Mordor, to Mordor with you, right? He's, this is, you know, sort of extravagant praise for Frodo, I think. And he's choosing this as... Yeah, thinking about it like a trophy, Tony, I think that 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 makes sense to me. That seems to fit both what Pippin knows and how Pippin talks and how Pippin would talk, right? Um Yeah. Sauron's ring? Heck no, man. That ring belongs to you now, right? You are the master of that ring because you told you told those uh you uh, what was Sam's phrase? You sent those riders to the rideabouts, right? Um Yeah, yeah. That that I can see him saying that, right? Especially if he doesn't get it, right? Especially if he doesn't understand the extent to which he's uh, uh, putting his foot in things, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Arden Crown. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, Frodo won the football game and he gets the ring as the game ball, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I can I can totally see that, right? Um, uh Yep. See there, Frodo? You can keep that ring for yourself. You earned it, man. Um, and come to think of it, that's not a weird way for them to think, right? First and foremost, um, first and foremost, Pippin is still going to think of the ring as Bilbo's ring, right? I mean, Frodo's by right, like by inheritance. It, by His by right in the same way that Bag End was his, right? I mean, it's Frodo's ring, for crying out loud. Okay, so Sauron has a previous claim, right? And the Dark Lord is coming to try to take Frodo's property away from him, but I don't think so, right? Frodo kept it away, right? So here we go. Frodo is the Lord of the Ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, um... Yeah, Simon, you're absolutely right that Gandalf is going to chastise Pippin for naming evil things in Rivendell, and then he's going to he's going to take care of that himself on several occasions. The difference is he knows what he's doing, right? Um, um, yeah, JJ, that does sound to me much more of the of the the way that this falls out, right? It's like making a joke that you didn't realize was in bad taste until it was pointed out to you. Like teasing somebody and then only finding out afterwards that they have that that they've been diagnosed with cancer, right? I mean that like that can easily happen, right? Um uh and even if the person is understanding, right, you you feel bad in retrospect. And I'm sure that 
if Pippin really understood the kind of struggle, especially knowing what, and here's a, here's a little scene to recall, right. Uh, to sort of remember in advance, remember Pippin standing up for, remember Pippin's outrage at hearing the ring bearer being called little cockawhoop, uh, by the brigand, uh, uh, in Hobbiton, right. At the scouring of the Shire. Um, the battle for the Shire really kind of begins uh, when Pippin can't bear to hear the ring bearer belittled like that uh, and steps forward to kick butt, right? Um, so Pippin will get there, right? He will eventually understand what it really meant to Frodo, but he I don't think he understands at all uh, here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and absolutely, Matt, that's just exactly what I'm thinking. From where Pippin is standing, Frodo just stood up to all nine of the ring the ring wraiths, right, by himself at the ford. Like, he was with the helping team right on the other side, and obviously he knows the flood is what took him out. But still, what did he see? Pippin, right? Pippin, here, Pippin with his little torches in his hands, right, coming down, uh, charging alongside Gorfindel and Aragorn, right, at the, at, at the, the, the rider still on the shore. But what does he see? He sees Frodo, right, on horseback, turned, facing them, and the Black Rider, you know, the Lord of the Ring Wraiths there in the ford, right, and Pip and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Frodo defying them. It's a good look, right? Frodo clearly deserves, um, uh, uh, praise there. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for Thoughtless, that's an interesting parallel. Um, thinking about Bilbo, right? Bilbo, uh, found the treasure and kept it in defiance of a vicious enemy that wanted it back. Uh, and after that, it belonged to him by right. Frodo's done the same thing, right? Um, yeah, no, it tracks, right? Um, Pippin would absolutely think, Frodo has totally earned his right to that ring, right? Uh, ain't nobody taken Bilbo, you know, Frodo's inheritance from him now, right? Um, yeah, yeah. No, that seems to me very likely to be the spirit of uh, of Pippin's comment here. Um, now, Gandalf's squelching of Pippin. Hush. Um Evil things do not come into this valley, but all the same we should not name them. The Lord of the Ring is not Frodo, but the master of the Dark Tower of Mordor, whose power is again stretching out over the world. Um, As one of you, and I can't remember which because it was a while back, pointed out, he interestingly does not name Sauron, right? He speaks very indirectly. Um, Not quite so... um, pointedly indirectly as they do in Gondor with the like he who must not be named thing right from which Harry Potter derived that particular uh, uh, trend right um, but the circumlocution that he uses is like this is is like the circumlocutions that they use in Gondor so as to avoid naming the enemy right so he doesn't name the enemy Um he speaks indirectly. He does say the name Mordor, which, remember, Aragorn yelled at Frodo for, or rather said, no, let's not go there anymore. It was Sam, right, when Sam was talking. Or no, it was Frodo, right, talking about uh, Gilgalad going to Mordor. And that was, we didn't want to talk about that. Aragorn didn't want to talk about Mordor. Um, 
Um, yeah. Um, right. He does say the Lord of the Ring, which is the thing that he was chastising Pippin for. Um, the point there, well, okay. On the one hand, Lord of the Ring is still a circumlocution. Like, that's not the enemy's name, in fact. Right. Um, so, um, you could say that Pippin's safe, to use that phrase, right? As indeed, Gandalf uses it immediately, even in the midst of all of his circumlocutions. So it seems pretty clear that just saying the Lord of the Ring is not going to draw the eye of Sauron upon you, right? Um, just for saying that phrase, because it is a circumlocution. Um, but he's got to step in here, because Pippin knows Sauron's name, right? Um, and somebody who would say something like that could say worse, right? Um, so he jumps in immediately to say, and, and you know, it's clear that it's obvious Gandalf understands the significance of what Pippin has just said way more than Pippin does, right? I think that one of the things that he is responding to here is exactly what we were just talking about. Pippin doesn't get it about the ring. Pippin doesn't get it about Frodo and the ring, right? Um, Pippin does not know what he is setting Frodo up for. I mean, just imagine how that title, Frodo, Lord of the Ring, could be used as this kind of psychological earworm by the ring itself during future ring temptations, right? Um, I think that Gandalf's hush is not about, like, don't name Sauron um, exactly so much as it is, like, don't talk about that, right? Um, He is uh, upset at the idea that Pippin is calling Frodo that... I mean, again, like, this is something that the ring would feed to Frodo, right? Hey, you are the Lord of the Ring, right? Claim me for your own. Um, uh, It's... it's, um, He wants to head off that line of conversation instantly, right? Pippin, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea the can of worms that you are opening up by even just in jest encouraging Frodo to think in that way, right? Um, And um, I think how I read his talk about Sauron there is actually... So I, I think this serves a double purpose. On the one hand, he is communicating something clearly to, to Pippin, right? Um, the Lord of the Ring is Sauron's title, and we shouldn't just talk about that. Like, it's not okay, right? Um, naming evil things can be bad. Remember, Aragorn tried to beat this into you guys before, right? Um, so let's be careful here, Pippin, because if you're going to blurt something like that out, you could blurt something else out later on, and I need to emphasize to you not to do that. So that's clearly one of the things that he's doing, right? But I think there's another thing that he's doing. When he says, the Lord of the Ring is not Frodo, but the master of the Dark Tower of Mordor, whose power is again stretching out over the world, I think that Frodo is the primary target of that sentence, 
right? He's talking to Pippin officially, right? Um, but if Pippin's joke should have inadvertently and unbeknownst to Pippin created that little tiny little psychological opening, right? Invited Frodo to imagine himself as Lord of the Ring. If that little breach has been opened in Frodo's psyche, Gandalf is trying to close it, I think, right? Let me be quite clear, the Lord of the Ring is not Frodo, but the master of the Dark Tower of Mordor. Um, don't so, what is his message to Frodo, right? If you should ever find yourself thinking about claiming the ring as your own, remember, only the Dark Lord himself can claim the ring as his own, right? It is altogether evil, right? It is drawing you to destruction. Remember all those things that we told before about the essentially evil nature of the ring derived from the Dark Master who owned it and made it and is the Lord of it, right? Um and who would seek to dominate you through it, right? Okay, yeah, so remember all that stuff, Frodo, right? The Lord of the Ring is not Frodo, but the master of the Dark Tower of Mordor, whose power is again stretching out over the land, right? Let's And this is, the begin, you know, him continuing his, we're not actually permanently safe here yet. This adventure is not over. The, certainly the story is not ended yet. Um, the ring is here, great, but now what? Whether or not Frodo moves on himself, this is a big deal, right? And again, so not only remember Frodo, the association between this ring and its real master, right? And the nature of that real master and the nature of this ring, but remember that he is stretching out his power over the world. Um, if you find yourself thinking Lord, Lord of the Rings kind of thoughts or Lord of the Ring kind of thoughts, um, then uh, you should uh, definitely uh, recall that the enemy is reaching out and, and that if you're thinking this, you're probably being manipulated. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, Simon. If you try to claim it anyway, you become a Dark Lord yourself. Yeah, exactly. That also is, is I think, sort of part of the message here. So he's rebuking Pippin. Don't talk about Sauron. You know, just don't go there, right? Secondly, I think he is sending a message to Frodo here. Um, and I think that is the significance. Notice Pippin uses the phrase Lord of the Ring. I saw you guys talking before. Um, when Gandalf talks about, you know, uses the title, the Lord of the Rings, um, he does use that, right? I'm recalling that correctly back in chapter two in the Shadow of the Past. Um, but it's the Lord of the Rings plural that he uses, Right in that chapter. Um, and generally that is what Sauron is called. The Lord of the Rings, not just the Lord of the ring, the Lord of all the rings, right? Because of the master ring. Um, uh, so yeah, this hasn't been used before. And of course not, cause it's not a thing, right? That's not really what Sauron is called. He's not only the Lord of the singular ring, he's the Lord of the, all of the rings, right? Um, but Pippin again, has no idea what he's talking about. Right. So he's only thinking of the one ring, you know, Frodo's ring, the one he inherited from his uncle. Right. Who got it on his adventures before. So that ring and he's the Lord of it. Right. He's my noble cousin, the Lord of the ring, uh, which he totally earned. Right. On his uh, triumphant adventure. Um, so he uses the singular because that's what he's thinking of. Um, so, again, I think that Gandalf is not only saying 
shut up, Pippin, and don't talk about this. Um, but he's also pointing out, right? Uh, he repeats it. He echoes what Pippin said. The Lord of the Ring is not Frodo. Um, but he's deliberately echoing Pippin there to, to, to rec- and essentially connecting here the common phrase, the Lord of the Rings. Like that is possibly something even Merry and Pippin have heard um, as one of the titles of Sauron and making that explicit, right? Yeah, Lord of the Ring. No, there is a Lord of the Ring slash rings and it ain't Frodo, right? Um, oh yeah, Lord of the Rings, right? That title kind of already taken. Never mind Frodo. I'm not going to call you that anymore, right? Um, yeah, exactly, J.J. Pippin thinks of the title meaning the guy who has the ring, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Karina, you like... The Lord of the All of the Rings, yeah, that's that's uh, it. Just rolls off the tongue, is it? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, trifle, you're talking about the Lord of the Rings. Is it known as a thing? Um, it isn't used very often. Um, the one thing that we the primary thing that we have to go on, and I saw Tim mention this much earlier on in, uh, tonight, um, is the title of the book, right? When Frodo writes the title, uh, he calls it The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings. Um, so that's, you know, The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings and The Return of the King, etc., etc. Um, uh, so he uses that title for Sauron in the title of the story that he gives when he finishes it. Um, and I don't think he's making it up. We know that Gandalf used it as well. So we, we see it at the beginning. We see it at the end. Is it common? Is it on the street? Right. Would Pippin have grown up knowing it? Not necessarily, but, um, um, but I think that they might, uh, um, you know, he could have, uh, he could have, but again, even if he hasn't, right. Um, in fact, you could argue Trifle, I could see an argument that says Gandalf's repetition, instead of correcting him, you know, being like the Lord of the Rings uh, (laughs) is not Frodo, right? Instead of correcting him, he just repeats him, right? Um, To say, you know, like the Lord of the Ring, to repeat that ridiculous and immensely foolish title you just gave to your friend, um, is not Frodo, right? Um, You know, that, that... uh, I could see as an argument that Pippin doesn't know the proper title, Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, but um, anyway, I don't think it has to be a name with which Pippin is familiar uh, for um, uh, for Gandalf's correction to be uh, to be appropriate there. Um, yeah. Good. I see. Uh, I see several of you, Karita and Lady Shmebulak and Viedra, uh, empathizing with Pippin. Uh, uh, Karita was saying that uh, um, she gets secondhand embarrassment reading Pippin's lines, like "Oh man, I want to be a Sam, but I'm pretty sure I'm a Pippin." Yeah. Yeah. No, I am. Um, Karita, the place I feel that most strongly is when Pippin throws the stone into the well in Moria. I'm like, I, I, I probably would have done that, actually. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Somebody with the e-text, can you do a quick search? Where else does the phrase The Lord of the Rings come in? Does anyone else use it other than Gandalf and Frodo? It's an interesting question. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I'd be interested to see if um, if that's if that where exactly that comes up. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, somebody look it up. Okay. Glorfindel will use it in the Council of Elrond. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Oop. Oop. Went backwards accidentally. Um... Okay, it refers. It appears four times. Wait, when else does it appear? Chapter two, with Gandalf. Chapter two of book two, with Gorfindel. The book title, but you said four times in the Fellowship of the Ring. Interesting. Um. Right, right, yeah, in The Return of the King, we get Frodo's book title, yeah. Glorfindel using it in the Council suggests that it is certainly an accepted title among the wise. Um, Even, of course, I mean, the title is even implicit in the ring verse, right? One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. Um, Uh... Yeah, yeah. Okay, four times in the Fellowship and three in the Return of the King. Um. Yeah. What are the other? What are the other four? I could. So I'm. I'm thinking of three. Gandalf in Shadow of the Past, Glorfindel in the Council of Elrond, which Matt pointed out, and Frodo's book title. Where else? Where else does? It, who else says it and where? That's what I want to know. Yeah, several other people. I see Amy and um, uh, others thinking about uh, would definitely throw the stone down in the well, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, This conversation is number four? Hmm. Okay. Oh, it's four if you count two for this one scene. Oh, well, that doesn't count then. Because this is not the Lord of the Rings. This is the Lord of the Rings singular. So Lord of the Rings plural, then, is only used twice, right? Once by Gandalf in Shadow of the Past and once by Glorfindel in the Council of Elrond. Right, yes. No, I, 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 the plural, I would, dif- I would differentiate between the two there. Um, so then one... In the Return of the King, what are the other two? In the Return of the King. And then if it gets three times in the Return of the King, where are those two? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and it's not mentioned, at, it's not, he's, that title isn't used at all uh, in the Two Towers, which is not surprising. Okay. 
J.J. Good. He had said it earlier on in this in this chapter, which arguably I should have remembered. The Black Riders are the Ringwraiths, the Nine Servants of the Lord of the Rings. Good. Good. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so we did have it recently. So we, the readers, have been should have been reminded of it um, uh, so that we can hear the echo very clearly, right? When Gandalf, just a few pages ago, has mentioned the Nine Servants of the Lord of the Rings, uh, obviously referring to Sauron, <clears throat> and then Pippin unknowingly echoes it here. Okay, okay. Um, anyway, okay. Um, okay, and then the only one you have, Matt, in The Return of the King is in... Oops. is I was just about to fix that. Um, is in Frodo's book title. Okay. Anyway, so it's unusual. It's unusual. It does not. It doesn't come up in conversation all the time, um, and it definitely. Um, so it's 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 among the wise, right? Again, we can see from 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 Glorfindel. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, good. I want to. Let's do a half of a passage. Let's just look at the first paragraph here. I, I, I want to see Pippin's response before we stop. Gandalf has been saying many cheerful things like that, said Pippin. Possibly my favorite Pippin line in the whole story, actually. He thinks I need keeping in order, but it seems impossible somehow to feel gloomy or depressed in this place. I feel I could sing if I knew the right song for the occasion. Um, okay. Gandalf has been saying many cheerful things like that. I love how Pippin um, immediately basically fires back at Gandalf, right? Uh, Rather than showing any embarrassment uh, at all, Pippin, by saying Gandalf has been saying many cheerful things like that, right, is basically kind of tweaking Gandalf's nose for being a, for being a buzzkill at the party, right? Um, uh, and, and, you know, perfectly fair, right? Perfectly fair of him. Here's everybody else being real happy, right? Let's celebrate. Clearly, this is a time for celebration. Frodo's up, right? We're seeing him for the first time. Every, you know, we've succeeded. Everything's turned out really well. And here's Mr. We are standing in a fortress outside. It is getting dark. Thank you for that, right? Um, yeah, I, 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 I like that. Uh, of course, I'm a big fan of Pippin's uh, Pippin's response here. Um, Fourth Dauntless is wondering what else Gandalf has been trying to tell the hobbits. Uh, um, uh, that they simply dismissed as unimportant. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what other cheerful things has Gandalf been saying? My suspicion, of course, is that Gandalf has been, as we saw him gently trying to do with Frodo, um, has been gently um, trying to discourage them from feeling that they're safe and their adventure is over now. Of course, we know that Gandalf wants Merry and Pippin's adventure to be over. He's got, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the idea will be to send them back. 
he's going to, of course, eventually champion them uh, and come in on Pippin's side unexpectedly um, in, at the very end. But um, the plan to send them back seems like a good idea. But of course, even then, the adventure's not over and they're not safe, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question, Zephan. Uh, something he says, I've never considered what was the reunion like between Gandalf and the other hobbits, especially Pippin. Uh, we get the reunion with Frodo and later with Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas post-resurrection. Uh, but I'd like to see this one. Um, yeah, I don't, um, um, I don't know exactly what it would have been like, but it does seem that Gandalf has been trying to temper their excitement. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Fort Thoughtless asks an excellent question. Do we have reason to believe Marion Pippin had met Gandalf before? Yes. He's been staying for a while. I mean, he's been hiding up in the bag end. Remember, uh, we learn at the, uh, uh, you know, after they, you know, decide on the selling of the house, uh, the whole rather. So, I mean, they must have met him at some point in there, I think. Um, uh, Even the way that Pippin refers to him here, even the fact that Pippin is teasing him back suggests that they are acquaintances. Um, And, uh, yeah, Rinruz, although, you know, we have nothing like the uh, fireworks incident uh, from the Jackson film, um, there's still plenty of reason to think that they have met Gandalf before. Um, you know, Pippin is young and would have been very young at the time of Bilbo's party, right? How old is Pippin? 24? Right? 26? No, he's 26, isn't he? 28, sorry. He's 28. So now he's going to be probably still 27. So he was like 10 years old. He was like 10 or 11 years old at Bilbo's party. Um, but he certainly would have, you know, met Bilbo then, um, uh, and would remember Gandalf's fireworks and stuff. And Gandalf would have been kind of a family fixture, right? He surely would have grown up, I mean, as a, what, grandson of the old Took? He would have grown up with stories of Gandalf, who was the old friend of the family. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no question that Gandalf would be a familiar figure to Pippin. And even I could imagine Pippin having some kind of, um, um, kind of like, I don't know, almost, I could imagine Pippin feeling almost sort of proprietary about Gandalf, right? I mean, like he's the friend of the Tooks after all, right? Uh, so, um, you know, him feeling kind of the right to be casual with Gandalf because Gandalf is the old friend of his family, right? Um, you know, I definitely, uh, uh, I, I definitely could imagine Pippin feeling sort of secure with Gandalf. Even he probably doesn't know him very well personally. He's not been in the Shire that much in the last seventeen years. So Pippin was quite young the last time he would have interacted with Gandalf uh, significantly, which would probably been at Bilbo's party. But still, Gandalf would be familiar. Um, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's definite familiarity in Pippin's response. He thinks I need keeping in order, but it seems impossible to feel gloomy or depressed in this place. Right. Notice how Pippin is also kind of, um, um, He is clearly excited to see Frodo again and to see Frodo up and about and, you know, not dead, right? So, or turned into a wraith or whatever. Um, He's clearly excited about that. But notice that he doesn't talk about it, right? He doesn't talk about, um, you know, but it seems impossible somehow to feel gloomy or depressed seeing you up and about again, right? You know, when I'm as happy as I am about, you know, Frodo's recovery, he could say something like that, but that would be like a little bit too honest, I think. Um, He ascribes it instead just to the place, suggesting that he's been uh, non-gloomy and undepressed for days now in Rivendell, right? Even though uh, Frodo's condition has presumably been been very serious. Um, I feel I could sing if I knew the right song for the occasion. Part of this, I do think exactly, Mad Violinist, that's exactly what I was about to say. Um, Mad Violinist says, the whole scene shows Pippin using hobbitry to avoid expressing strong emotion. Yes, he wants to say... Frodo, I was so afraid that you were going to die. I am so delighted to see you up and about again, and I can't even contain how happy I am now that I see that you have recovered. That is what Pippin is almost certainly really feeling. But he doesn't say that, because you don't, right? Uh, It is very English, I agree, Tony. Um, uh, And it's very much the way that um, Mary will describe it later on in the House of of, of Healing, right? Um, we fear to say too much, right? Pippin clearly fears to say too much here, too. Um, so I think that's plainly the subtext. And yet, um, having um, having said that, right, that he uh, is wanting to avoid saying that, he's not just saying random things, right, To in order to avoid that. Um, what he's saying is, I'm sure, also true that it's hard to feel gloomy or depressed in this place, that Rivendell does affect him. Um, I feel I could sing is a very sensible kind of response to Rivendell, right? The elves are singing all the time. Um, And as several of you were joking, yes, he probably does want to join in a round of tra la 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 And it's not just because he's happy. And that's, again, a big deal, that he's happy because of Frodo's recovery. But it isn't only that. It is also responding to Rivendell, that it makes him want to sing, right? That the heir of Rivendell, um, as uh, as you were saying, Belongs Bond, is, is... is like that, right? That it affects him like that. Um, yeah, I, that seems to me perfectly, perfectly fair. Remember Bilbo um, being tempted to stick around and join in the tra la la right? When he had been on the road for a long time and hungry, going on short commons even, because they lost a lot of their food 
to the pony that drowned in the river, right? Uh, back in The Hobbit, right? So, um, and yet still, coming at the weary end of a long, hungry day, he is tempted to stay and enjoy the singing, right? I think Pippin is responding uh, to a similar thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel I could sing if I knew the right song for the occasion. I think there, the right song for the occasion is finally the very indirect way in which Pippin is actually connecting with what he's really talking about. The occasion, of course, is the occasion of Frodo's rising out of bed, right? Frodo's recovery. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're right, Mad Violinist, there were bannocks being served with the tra la la so uh, he would have been able to, he, he would have been able to get something to eat while also enjoying the singing. Um, true enough. True enough. Um, okay. I'm going to stop there. We'll look at Frodo's response and, uh, uh, and then Merry and Pippin, uh, responding back to him. We'll pick up there next week. We will have class as usual next week. Um, Mythmoot is next week. Uh, super exciting, but uh, I won't be leaving until Thursday morning. I'm leaving super early on Thursday morning. So I, I won't be doing my Wednesday night class next week. Um, cause I should probably not be ending class at midnight when I'm leaving home at like four 30 in the morning the next day. Uh, but, um, uh, but anyway, I will be able to do Tuesday as, as usual. So, all right, I'm good with field trip time. So I'm going to say good night to the, uh, folks on Twitter as always. And to the folks in the talent, thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, I will will uh, feel free, of course, to join us on twitch.tv slash signumu for the rest of the episode. So good night to those folks. All right. Good. And... Excellent. Back over here to Langera, as I said at the beginning, uh, Valori is uh, unable to join us today as she is very ill, hoping for a speedy recovery from the latest germ that her children, no doubt, dragged into her house. And um, uh, we will head off. We're going to go back to Kellendim. Let's um, uh, continue our exploration of uh, the elf regions over there in Arid Luin. So we can head out and take the West Bree stable connection as we've been doing. Okay. Okay, sure. Excellent, Druid's Fire. So, last time we were investigating... Uh, trying to solve the archaeological mystery of uh, the different stages of the building of Kellendim. And I think we came to some pretty good theories, how we had uh, Kellendim as party center back probably in the Second Age. And after the fall of Gil-Galad, it was probably... They probably stopped hitting it on the party circuit. And then later in the Third Age have revived it as a sort of waypoint on the way to the Grey Havens. Um, so 
I'm uh, generally liking that explanation of the two different layers of construction that we can see there in Kellendim. Um Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. It should be Kalondim, I know, uh, because it's got the ND uh, consonantal cluster there before the last syllable, which means the stress falls on the penultimate uh, uh, syllable. Uh, well, yes, I mean, that is a little bit harder. Last thing I wanted to look around here, we kind of left town yesterday looking around, but the one thing, we kind of skipped the middle of town. We looked at the docks, and then we looked at the buildings leading up the hill, and then we looked at the shrine, but we were mostly focused on that those older layer of ruins. Um, this is kind of a weird town. You know? We We just had... So we've seen there are a bunch of these towers, right? And, and and I've been saying that these towers seem to be not functional, but kind of, uh, you know, like they're residential or recreational, right? Like folks just kind of hang out and live in those towers. They just like the towers and the view of the valley and, and whatever, that I don't think they're guard towers. I think they're residential towers, Um but then when we come up the hill, we kind of came up here and then immediately, like, took off across the fields in search of ruins. Um, but if we come up here like we mean it, we've got these relatively grand staircases, right? These winding staircases, not winding exactly, but curving staircases, which lead us up onto the cliff. So we had that big building down there that we were looking at, which seems to be sort of maybe connected to the harbor. And behind it, the road up to the shrine. Now we've got this other house, which is similar to, but a little smaller than, and with less tower, up on that other cliff over there. Probably a... a, a home? Of some sort? And then we get... Where's this headed to? We get a gazebo up here. And this is a... Just a, a hanging out gazebo. Right, we see people currently hanging out. Right, one playing the lute, and another just lounging and enjoying the lute. We've got this. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it is. But sorry, Drew, it's fire. I was just remembering that nobody, probably nobody, can hear you. Wait, talk again. Can anyone hear Druid's fire? Well, the people in Discord probably can. Yeah, but the people on Twitch probably can hear you. I am thinking. Because um, of the aforementioned strange... Yeah, no, they're not hearing you in Twitch. That's what I thought. So that's just going to be a little bit confusing. Um, and it also means that uh, on the recording, you will be inaudible as well. Sorry about that. It's uh, a weird glitch that I will try to sort out before the next class. But anyway, okay, so so the other thing that I was this wall. It's just kind of weird. What's up with this wall? 
I mean, it's tall and yet pointless because so I mean this looks like it could be a fortification and it goes along the edge of a little cliff right um, so you know that's looks like it could be defensible but you know you'd think maybe a gate or something here I mean if you did gate this it would make it harder to get to the upper level but it's not really doesn't seem to be attempting fortifying um, could it be a retaining wall, Matt? That seems possible, except it looks like it's built up on top of the cliff. I don't know. And it's also really tall. Like, you can't see over it. It's like decorative, except it's... Um, yeah, it do- it doesn't look like it's retaining anything, JJ. That's what I was thinking, too. I don't know. I just don't uh, don't get it. Like a decorative wall, which would be sort of like a handrail would make sense, but it's too tall for that and too isolated to be a defense. I don't know. I don't get the wall. Tired of seeing the na- the neighbor's ugly yard. Well, it seems a little bit strange since we're living in all these towers, which are presumably just for the purpose of better overlooking the beautiful river valley, which is indeed quite beautiful, right? Combining, you know, these gorgeous flowering, you know, blossoming trees with the like stark heights of the, of the, of the stone cliffs. I mean, it's very, it's very nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, see, like that stone fence down there is what I would sort of expect if what you wanted is the equivalent of a guardrail, right? Um, uh, could it be a noise wall? Hmm. What noise? The. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not cutting off anyone's view permanently. Like, there are no buildings hunched down behind this wall or anything. Um, I mean, I don't think there's a single window whose view is obstructed by that wall. <laughs> Rom says the echoing of their singing through the valley. Maybe kind of partition it so that you can sing different songs up on top of the hill. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I kind of doubt it's a noise wall. Um, uh, it could be preventing things from washing down the hillside in the heavy rain. But that would seem to wash everything through the gazebo, which I can't imagine is what you're really wanting if you're the residents here. Hmm. Wait a second. I've, okay, oh, right. Okay, yeah, we didn't really go up there. This place that we're looking down on here with the four gazebos overlooking the harbor essentially, right? All of those down there. And we've got the two sweeping staircases going up in this other large-ish building. Okay. There seem to be buildings. So again, I'm going to take it that these isolated towers are residences. And 
therefore that these larger houses serve some other function, whether it be ceremonial, right? Here's another residence right in the middle there. Um, these larger buildings serve some other sort of formal function. Um, you're right, Rom. Everything is really spread out and open. I mean, again, you can see if this has kind of grown up, especially as a kind of temporary spot, right? Um, I mean, one thing that you'll notice is that even if all of those towers are like chock full of elves, um, the population of this town can't be large, right? It's not a very big place. Um, there could they could be like elvish flats, like these could be some of these places. The larger buildings could be like um, I was thinking more JJ like hotels, right? It's like the elvish hotel. Uh, that you stay, you know, like the, um, like an extended stay place, right? On your way out, right? So, uh, in, as you're lingering on the shores of Middle Earth, like you do, right? As an elf, um, they know that your average, uh, westward bound elf is likely to want to put down roots and stay for a few decades on the way going through, right? Uh, so you would have some accommodations for these folks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that would make some sense. Maybe the towers are... Oh, I seem to be standing on the rail. Which means I should possibly back up a little bit. Uh, as I don't really want to plummet down the cliff. Um... All right, I'm going to imagine that the towers are somewhat more permanent residents. Not permanent, exactly. It's no elf is a permanent residence. But those who have really chosen to dwell here for an extended time. And the larger places are where you can accommodate, like, again, just passing through, staying for 50, 60 years, right, on your way out. You know, obviously a super short time if you're an elf. Um, I think uh, those would be the bigger buildings. That makes sense to me. Let's keep... Okay, so this one joins the main road. So let's go up this way. Because we need another sweeping staircase. Alright, so here we have another gazebo. This is a working gazebo. We were here before. Got these folks crafting things, right? We've got a cooper at work. We've got a book reader just hanging out. She's a novice woodworker. Really? Okay. But, you know, kind of studying, increasing our book learning. We've got a shed. Right, a little Elvis shed. This is like, what, the Cooper's shed or something? Um, okay, we've got lots of other crafty areas here. Another, oh, look, another little gazebo with a little shrine to Elbereth. That's nice. The whole Elbereth Shrine Forge look, which they do in Rivendell also, right? So, that's good. Everything very open air, as uh, one of you was pointing out there before. Um, yes. See, again, here one is tempted one is tempted to sort of assert the, what I have argued is the kind of over-stereotyped view of elves as like one with nature. I do think elves are one with nature, 
But I don't think that that necessarily... So like one might say, right? Hey, I thought elves were supposed to be one with nature. Why would you have them going around on like paved walkways? And why would they build all this stuff? Why would we have all of this stone staircases and, and, uh, and walkways and gazebos? Why are they hanging out in gazebos? Why aren't they hanging out shirts in the open air? But wouldn't it be like, why aren't they just don't plant trees, right? And sit under trees. Um, well, um, I, on, the, on the one hand, I think that's very sensible. And of course, we do know that the elves are closely connected with nature. But remember that they're also artists and they like to build and make things. Um, and that's not the mere making of things and building of things is not it does not decrease their connection with nature. It's one way in which they express it, really. Um yeah. I don't know, Rom. I'm not sure I can buy that. Rom is suggesting that um the uh the valleys the settlement here is trying to conceal itself through the valley's geography. I don't think it's very well hidden, especially the towers on the cliffs on the other side. I mean, everybody's got to be able to see those for miles and miles. Okay, so this would be another one of the hotel spots, right? I think so. Lovely. And we'll go up this way. Some bookcases, naturally. Book is that? I've never noticed that book before. What is that book? That looks like a real book. We can't see the title. It's got to be a reference to something. Also, I like the fact that the Elvish Library is small. I got some books, but they only have three bookshelves, and these are not exactly stuffed, you know? Um, elves, not huge into reading, actually. They prefer to remember. Yeah, it's easier when you're immortal. I like this little terrace here. Like, we're just going to pause halfway down. Stop. Look around you. Appreciate the angles here, like what you can see when you look over the river valley from here, having just descended from higher up. Yeah, you probably would want to keep the rain off of the books that you do have. I agree. I agree. Contemplative gazebos.
It is real nice looking down the valley there. And then yet another hotel up here. Ron, you're right that we do have several examples of elves settling down, um, setting down foundations in valleys and places that wouldn't be shining black-walled cities on hills. No, you're right. Um, you're right that elves do that. I'm just not convinced that this is designed to be hidden, basically. Um, first of all, if it were, there would be some kind of guard, right? And there's no guard whatsoever here. And I think from pretty much every direction you approach it, it's quite plainly visible. I don't think they're trying to conceal this area. Um, but them wanting to be in a valley down by the river does seem to me... Um, still seems to me perfectly sensible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there are a couple token guards around. Yes. Yeah, you don't get a sense of a heavily armored presence here, right? And yeah, Rob, absolutely. This is this place is utterly undefensible. Right? Um I mean any em enemy would be I mean even if enemies were coming up from the river, then you'd have a chance at least to fight your way up these terraces, but those broad old stairways, right, are hardly going to do the trick from a defensive standpoint. I mean, you do have the several different terraces, so if an enemy had to fight his way up, you could, you know, make him pay for it reasonably well, I think. But, of course, anyone coming at you from the uphill side would be able to really just sweep down over everything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I agree, Ram. I think that um, they're... They observing a proclivity towards valley living, um, uh, that that does seem to me that does seem to me right. And what's more, them being by the water, as that's a really important uh, reminder here. I think. Okay. Um, good. Let's see, is there more we carry on uphill? Oh, just the farmland up here, right? Yep, I think it's just... Yeah, because over here you can see we're already on the... Yeah, the fields that are sort of sweeping up towards that saddle in the mountains there, where that little valley with the pond is that we looked at before. Okay. And there's my favorite tower over there. 
So yeah, I like our theory about the the large buildings and the towers. So, JJ, are those three tiny farm plots responsible for feeding the entire town? Well, this seems to me like a game mechanic issue, right? Um, farmland, right? Of course, for those who don't play the game, farming is one of the things, one of the crafting things that you can do. You can grow food so that then you can then cook food, which food helps you in game and is also fun. Um, so... They need places to farm, and having the farmland clearly delineated by the little stone walls and things helps uh, to make it uniform uh, general, generally across the, the game. So I understand the constraint of the mechanic of the game there. Um, it's a shame because, in one sense, of course, because it's, I mean, it's one of the things we've been talking about in Silm Film lately, was thinking about elvish agriculture. And one of the things that I was saying about elvish agriculture um, is uh, that I don't think that they would necessarily plant crops in rows and that they would necessarily, um, you know, have... What's the term? I forget the farming term. When you only grow one thing in one field. Um, I think that they would have a different... Uh, uh, a different relationship. Monoculture, yes. I don't think the elves would necessarily be into monoculture. Um, I don't think that they would have elves... We were talking about this in some film when we were imagining the plains of Tumladen around uh, around Gondolin, which clearly have to be um, uh, cultivated, obviously, or the Gondolindrum are all going to die very soon. So... We're just sort of imagining, you know, as we if we were depicting that visually, what would we show? And I think we wouldn't show neat square patchwork of, you know, rows of corn here and rows of wheat over there. I don't think that's ha how elves would farm, necessarily. Um, so, like I said, I think that they're a little bit restricted by the farm plots that they had already arranged. Um, uh in the game, and so they inserted those plots there, but I don't see any reason to think that um, I don't see any reason to think that those three farm plots at the top of the hill are the only place where the elves grow food. And yeah, do they eat fish? Sure. Why wouldn't they eat fish? I see no reason to doubt their eating of fish. We know they hunt, we know they eat meat in general, um, and so presumably would um, eat fish as well. I have to think they would. Okay, did I not even look at this shrine before? How did I not notice how weird this is? This is weird. This is a super weird shrine. I mean, what is this like? All my Vardas? What? Why do we have six Elberiths here? Why? 
Okay. Elber, Elberth Shrine. I kind of get that. I kind of get that. Um, now, Scudo, I hear you in saying that there's no sign in Tolkien's writings that elves made shrines at all. Agreed. We don't see anything like this. Um, no, we don't. Could I imagine them making a statue dedicated to Elbereth? Sure. I can imagine them doing that. Um, I don't think it would be a proper shrine, exactly. I mean, the use of the word shrine is perhaps uh, incautious on my part. Um, the game isn't insisting that it is a shrine. It is not using that term itself. Um, that's my word uh, for this. And again, it's perhaps an incautious term. Um but okay, like, these are all identical statues of Elbereth. If you're going to make one statue of Elbereth in here, why do you make six? I don't get that at all. And what's up with the dais here in the middle? It doesn't seem connected to... Like the line, I was looking at the lines and the patterns here, right? We get the those the the four primary lines towards the middle there, intersecting at the uh, you know the intersection points of this rough sort of rounded square in the middle of it. But those four points all point off. That one is pointing a little bit off. One of the Elbereths. This one a little bit off that one. JJ's wondering if it's a statue maker showroom. I love that theory, right? And this isn't a shrine at all. This is a display room, right? So, uh, you know, a, a carver who is, like, you know, a, a, um, a sculptor comes in and is like, okay, get your Elbereth statues here, right? They're going fast. Only six remaining. Look at the beautiful Elbereth statues. Um, Ram is wondering if this could be something like a place for stargazing. Well, no. Not a good one. Trees overshadowing most of it. We got a window in this direction. Where we came in. Yeah, but uh, by and large, no, not in astronomy observatory here. Um, yeah, no, JJ, the statue showroom is uh, the best theory I can come up with. I just can't understand why anyone would have a sort of a sacred place, even if you're having a sacred place to Elbereth. And wanted to put a statue of Elbereth in there. And I get it, Scudo. I, I agree with you. We don't see that described anywhere in Tolkien's works that I recall either. But, again, I, it's, I can, I'm, I'm okay with that. I can imagine that. Um, but six? Okay. Uh, where are we seeing, seeing banners? Where are the banners? I didn't see the banners.
Oh, back at the tower we started at. Yeah, oh, well, those banners are just the elvish banners that we've seen. We saw them in Rivendell, too, right? The um, the elemental ones, the air, earth, fire, and water banners, and the star banner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Showroom. Outdoor showroom for the sculptor. So the sculptor probably lives here, right? The one who carves... And, of course, they bought one for Rivendell. So there presumably used to be seven, and then they shipped one out to Rivendell. Um, yeah. And there's that tower, the original tower that sent us on our search last week. Okay, good. And there are the ruins up the hill, right of the old party spot. Okay. Cool. All right, that's good. Well, next week we will continue to look at the map here. We'll continue on up towards, uh, through Falathorn towards Duelond, um, the other elvish, major elvish town up here. Uh, we looked a little bit at some of the ruins that we see, but we'll look at some more as we go through. See if we can figure out this realm here as we move up and then of course we will transition into dwarf lands uh, there up there before long but alright I'm going to let you guys go it's getting late thanks everybody for joining me and I will see you guys again next week remember class next week and then we'll be off the week after that uh, thanks everybody good night and I will talk to you guys soon bye now Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.